I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Um, Well, here we are once again. And I say once again... Uh, because we, it feels like we've been here for weeks on end uh, as we release these episodes, but really we've only been here for a few days. Are you guys, are you guys tired Los of Los Angeles? Us, are you guys tired of the three of us being together yet, or are you, are you guys like feeling really in 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 our element right now? God, I hope after two hundred or so episodes that. They're, that they're not tired of no, it. No, I don't mean you guys as no. the audience. I'm speaking oh, directly you? To, to you and Taylor. Are, are you guys tired of, of being other? with me? No, I'll never get tired of you guys. No, it's not. No, this isn't long enough of a trip to get to get sick of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to say too. <clears throat> even even sharing a bed with Taylor, I'm still not. I'm still. I'm still. It's still novel enough. I sleep hard, man. You do too. <clears throat> um, so we're sitting here joined with, uh, Kate. how do you spell it? Say your last name, Caitlin. Is it Doty or it's Doty? Not Doughty. No, not Doughty. Okay, good. Like bread, bread dough t-shirt. There you go. Okay. Doughty. 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 Yeah. Um, and, uh, this is, this is really exciting because, um, I, I've been wanting to speak with you since I saw you speak at the International Death Symposium in Toronto. This past fall, I believe it was, it was like this last September, um, and you gave this wonderful presentation on um, on basically the 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 different ways in which we um, process and and approach um, uh, funerals and like and and how we how we treat or 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 sort of care for the human body after after um, after it's met the end of its life um, in different cultures. And I found it to be so fascinating because for as, as long as I can remember, um, up until we started doing this podcast, I always thought pretty much like everyone just dies and then you take a body, put it in a box, bury that box under the ground, and that's what we all just have to do. Um, but that is not necessarily the case. Um, and it's, it's, quite, it's quite fascinating to hear what... Different cultures do with their bodies, uh, but also like the options of what people can do here in North America. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is? That, like, what it, you have a couple of titles, do you not? A couple of job titles. <laughs> I have forty-seven job titles, and I will tell them all to you now. Please stop me if you have any questions. Um, I guess I normally say I'm a mortician because that's the professional title. That's the entry level. I went to mort. I went to mortuary school. I own a funeral home here in Los Angeles. Um, so that's the primary one. But 
realistically, what I spend most of my time doing is being an advocate for death awareness, exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. What are people's options? What are people's <laughs> options to spend less? What are people's options to have a funeral mean more? Mm. And that's, you know, you and I are on the same death lecture circuit now. So mm-hmm. you kind of know the grind of just getting your message out there because people don't want to hear about chronic illness. They don't want to hear about death. They don't want to hear things that bum them out. Yeah. But until it happens to you and you're up shit Creek and you need this kind of advice and you need this kind of basis. So that's what being a sort of unpleasant advocate. What, is. what was the, so, you know, not, uh, I feel like a lot of people who go into, to what, what do you call it? Like mortuary school, mortuary school, mortuary school. Um, I feel like not a lot of people who go into that, that career path end up, uh, speaking to hundreds of people about this sort of thing. What drew you to, to trying to like have a platform to to spread that awareness and to to educate I think a, a lot of things it's it's already in my personality I I started working in the funeral industry not really thinking it was going to be my entire career. When I was 22 years old, I got a job in Oakland at a crematory and I was the crematory operator. I was the one who was Pushing in the bodies and raking out the hot bones, and that was my job. Oh, that's that's okay. so okay, well, fucking the, crazy the, job! And, and the the question that I and I want you to keep going with that mm-hmm. that thought. Like, but, I'm gonna stop you right but, there. But, but I do I do want to dive into like also in addition to the question that Jared just asked you, like what is it that makes someone so inclined or interested in in working in the in that kind of field? Because like with my experience, I mean. When I was younger, I never had the ambition to work in a in a like a funeral home or do anything like that, and and I imagine that a lot of people would share that same sentiment, like not really want to work I, with. I always pictured it as a family thing, you know what I mean? Like like the I, I yeah. and maybe that's a six feet under. Um, that's the stereotype, but stereotype? the stereotype comes from somewhere. Sure, very real. Yeah, is it a family? Is it a family business? It, until about 10 to 15 years ago, it really was. You know, you had O'Malley and Sons mm-hmm. and, you know, Tom O'Malley would go to mortuary mm-hmm. school like his dad, James O'Malley, et cetera, mm-hmm. and so forth. Mm-hmm. But now it's a lot of a lot of young women, a lot of people who have never been in the funeral industry before mm. are getting into it. Interesting. What, what, what was it you? Was it? you? Yeah. 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 So uh, you were like, I'm interested in your advocacy, but also how did you end up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like even we need further to take back. it even further back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I get that. I hear you. Um, so I was, I was always a pretty morbid character growing up and I went to college in Chicago and I majored in medieval history. And medieval history is a lot of darkness, a lot of death, a lot of strange Mm -hmm. death and corpse-related history. So that's where I really became passionate about, wait a second, we used to pile the bodies up inside the wall of a church, and that's how they were buried? We used to have, used to walk around the churchyard, and there would be hundreds of bodies actively rotting just beneath your feet. How come it's so different now? So that sort of started my journey to be like, wait a second, how, what we do with corpses is weird, right? Mm-hmm. And how so it changes weird, yeah. and how it changes from culture to culture. Mm-hmm. That's weird. So I was working in theater in San Francisco and I wasn't very happy. And I had this thought of what if I could just, someone would give me a job doing this and I could really see what was going mm. on behind the scenes. I always knew that North American death was 
bizarre in its own way, and mm-hmm. I wanted to explore that more. And I thought that I would dip my toe in, see some things, and go, mm. okay, well, now I'm going to start my regular life yeah. outside of this. But as soon as I started, you know, day one of raking the hot bones out of the oven, I was like, this is incredible. I am feeling so many feelings. I am starting to learn so much. And that really began my love affair is a weird word, but Mm. my my fascination with our funeral industry and why we do the things we do historically, how we developed it. And I think you're right when you say that a lot of people in the funeral industry are there because it's a job. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a pretty it's pretty career. It's like being an ultrasound technician or something. It's mm-hmm. it's a solid middle class job. Right. Rather than, rather than being like rather than growing up passionate about it and not exactly. having any connection to it. Um when you obviously this isn't you know, you kind of touched on it there when you said you thought you might kind of dip your toes in, see what it was all about and you know, go on into quote unquote your real real job, real, job, real life. Um, obviously that wasn't the case for you because you found, it seems like you kind of found your calling or fell into your calling or, or pursued it. Is that common for people who go to mortuary school? Kind of they, they like in the way that you think you're really fascinated in this thing because you might grow up as a kind of a morbid character and then you, you get to, you get to the, the big leagues and you go, (laughs) Oh, Whoa. these actual <laughs> no, dead bodies you. here are like not for me. Well, our mortuary schooling system is also, it has some positives, but for the most part, the things that they're teaching, the things that they're making you learn, I would say do not correlate with the real working experience very mm. well. So you have kids who get into mortuary school and they're like, wait, I can't do the chemical chemistry formulas of embalming fluid properly. So I'm failing out, but that's not actually a skill that you use when you're embalming a body in your day-to-day work. So a lot of the people who are in it now, I do think that there's much, there is a shift away from the idea of it as sort of this just solid job because there's so much reform happening in the funeral industry right now. So people are going to mortuary school because they're like, I want to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. I think that we spend too much. I think it's not very eco-friendly. I think that it's very family, um, distant from the family. And I want to be a part of all the reforms that are going on. So I think a lot of people who are entering it are people like that who have a greater passion than perhaps 20 years ago. What What are the reforms? The reforms are the thing that is the entire North American funeral industry is built on is the idea of corpse capitalism, basically. The idea that at a certain point, a group of men after the Civil War realized that they could say that they are the professionals because they are the ones who know how to chemically embalm the body and how to bury the body. And now the family is not going to be the one who takes care of the dead body. Mm-hmm. It's going to be these titans of corpse capitalism, these these men. And so thus builds up a funeral industry based on the premise that every family is going to chemically preserve the dead body. They're going to buy a casket that's quite expensive. They're going to buy flowers. They're going to buy a hearse. They're going to buy a burial plot. They're going to buy a big outer burial vault that goes Mm -hmm. around the casket underground so it doesn't sink. They're going to buy a headstone. They're going to buy all of these things. And more and more people are going, wait a second, what if I want just like two of those things? Mm -hmm. Or what if I want none of those things? Is Mm -hmm. that possible? And the answer is yes, but 
they're not being told that. they're not being told that by yeah. the funeral homes and it's a huge <clears throat> financial threat to the funeral home to Ooh. all of a sudden have people say i don't want all 17 things yeah i want three things mm-hmm. because their entire infrastructure is set up to sell you those all of them together yeah you want it to be more like a like a froyo place where you, where you yeah. go in mm-hmm. and you kind of pick all your toppings yeah. and like you could go really yeah. minimal or you could go like full out and you know you bring it up you put it on the scale and you you pay for you pay for your weight. That's mm-hmm. a great analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect analogy. What would be the opposite of that, Taylor? Um, going to McDonald's and getting a Big Mac. Sure. I mean, it's like you yeah, know, there, there it is. Yeah. There's like one. The yogurt parfait. It's like yeah. It's yeah. like you got one option. That's it. Uh, we put it all together for you. Just why not? It's cheap. Yeah. It's not. It, well, well that's, I guess that doesn't really fucking work. <laughs> um, so just to rein it back in, uh, Caitlin, like, to, to come back to the, the question that Jeffress asked you about uh, you getting into the advocacy work, is, is, is that kind of like when you dipped your toes in and you saw all of these wild things happening, is that what made you want to like start telling other people about it? Yes. It's, it, I think the main question or like the foundation of my advocacy is just, does everybody know this? Right. Yeah. Was yeah. I yeah. the only one who didn't know all this? Mm-hmm. Like what? Like just the being completely baffled by what I was seeing, being completely baffled every time I learned a new part of the history of North American death or what happened or how it got taken away from the family or how we, the ways that we overpay, the ways that we are going to a funeral home and we are subtly not told. And I usually complain about America, but there are so many things coming out of Canada right now that are just as bad about mm-hmm. big corporate funeral homes. Like what? Oh, is there, there anything? Wasn't that you there can... a big scandal? I think Alderwoods. Yeah, is what it's called. Yeah, something happened. So what was that story? We when we when we talked to um, when we had a uh, we had a we had an episode who like two years ago or was like with a funeral celebrant and she Ooh. was talking about. Um, I don't recall what happened. I can't remember what it was now. Do you do you know what it was? Well, there's there's been a couple. There's been a couple rounds, but we actually worked um, with a woman named Tiffany who had this happen with her father. And what happened is they go into a funeral home, and I don't remember the exact specifics of the story, but they go in, and a big part of the funeral industry is selling you pre-need plans, which means you pay in advance for goods and services. But... <clears throat> Not only is that money not always quite as secure as you think it is, it also allows you to allows them to add on all sorts of additional things when the time comes that someone actually dies. So you think you've paid for everything, but right. surprise, you actually haven't. And you're you've already you've already paid big chunks into it. So you're kind of you're, you're stuck. Al- you're already exactly. in. Mm-hmm. You're already mm. in, and you can't. Yeah, you can't. You, yeah, you could go. And that's actually what happened. I believe is they wanted to go. They actually decided they wanted something much more simple. They wanted just a simple cremation, lower cost, be able to be there, just hold dad's hand, <coughs> see him one last time, yeah. watch him be put into the cremation machine, shed some tears, everyone leaves in a thoughtful mood. Mm. Not much money is spent is what they wanted. And that basically was not given to them. That opportunity was not given to them because of the things that the funeral director told their family, which were lies. And for me, it's always just this question of why does this keep happening? Why do these lies keep happening? If you talk to a really ethical funeral director, they go, well, that's not the funeral industry. That's not what we're like. We would never tell a family that embalming was 100% required. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is a family will come in and the funeral director will say, so did you want to see mom? 
oh, yeah, we want we want to see her, uh, but we want to just keep it natural. Well, actually, it's illegal to see her like that without embalming. It's not safe for you, uh, and it's not legal, so we're going to have to do the casket. We're going to have to do embalming if you want that. And that's just like a complete lie. Bull, not yeah, only is bullshit. it it's yeah. very safe to be around <clears throat> an unembalmed body, and it's completely legal mm-hmm. to have it. You can choose as a funeral home to say, I won't offer this to you. Like it's basic, basic capitalism. You can right. choose to say I am not going to offer this, but you can't lie to a family and tell them something is illegal when it's not. And so, you know, I want to give funeral homes the benefit of the doubt, hmm. but these stories are just constant. Right. You know, because I'm the right. advocate who talks about this uh-huh. again and again and again. People email me, tweet me, tell me that this has happened to them. And just, you need to, you need to, you need to like get the word out there and advocate it because if you don't know, then you're going in as like a person, as a person who who needs to to buy these services and you're going, oh, I don't know. And I mean, it's how I feel when, when we're at the car rental place Yeah, and, yeah, they're, and, yeah they're, right. and they're like, all right, well, like we don't recognize your international insurance. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't recognize it? Like my insurance will pay for this if I get in an accident. I don't like, you don't really have to recognize it, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, and that's how I'm feeling. But then they're going, well, we don't. And so you have to buy this and you have to buy that. And you're like, do I? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. It's, it's for, similar. For, I want to know how, like, if someone comes into your funeral home, uh, you know, because I feel like a lot of the people don't even know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And so when someone comes in and dad has died, how do how does it work at, at your establishment in terms of, like, letting them know what their options are? And maybe even letting them know the options that they didn't even realize were an option. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We we do a lot of transparency because it makes people trust us. Right. The more transparent you are, the more that people like you mm-hmm. and they don't feel bad about paying you money because they believe it is the actual price for the thing that you're doing. Because mm-hmm. um, embalming is a service. Embalming so is a service. It's not, so, so you could, you can, you can be transparent and go, it's not required, but here are the pros of it if you so choose. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and, and it, it's not hard for a funeral home to do that. But I think there's not yeah. only... What's weird about it, though, is that I believe that it's not just a we-need-to-make-money thing. I also believe that embalming is so intertwined with people's self-esteem because they teach you in a mortuary school that embalming is what makes you a mortician. It mm. is what makes you a funeral director in this right. profound, sacred way. Really, And so when you take away, when you have someone like me who's like, hi, I'm a young lady who's like, you don't need to embalm your body. It's like such an existential threat. <laughs> I love how you just became like the stereotype. Oh, that's, that's, who they, that's who they hear yeah, in their head. Yeah. Like I can say any reasonable number of reasonable things. And in my mm-hmm. head, I'm just like, F you, funeral director. Yeah. We're doing what we want now. Corpses everywhere. Just, just for reference for this entire conversation, like how much would it, like an average, like say you walked into a funeral home that basically just said you have to do everything. Mm-hmm. You have to go through the the full meal deal. Like what is what is a rough like a rough average price of that? Yeah, if you do the full full service funeral is what they call them. Um, you're looking at. On average, between seven to ten thousand dollars. Okay, it's less at my funeral home, but it, you know that's what you could expect. Mm. Yeah. But you also have the ability to, 
either decline things within that paradigm or go to a completely different paradigm altogether and say, A, I just want a simple cremation. B, I want a natural burial, which is just a hole in the ground. You just shroud me up and put me in the shallow hole. Mm -hmm. That's a lot less expensive. Um, I want to be... Uh, aquamated, which is a type of water cremation. There's so many new wait, types wait, 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 of water cremation. Water cremation. It's like water, like uh, we talked about this before. It's like uh, did, a pressure yeah. wash, basically, right? Like high sort pressure of, wash. Yeah, exactly. It's it's putting a put you in a tube and um, a chamber, like it. and it's you know cremation is with flame, and then aquamation or water cremation is with high heat water, water and potassium hydroxide. They turn you into a soup. It's essentially a like flash decomposition. It's not acid. Whoa. It's not, but, but people are, because it's new, people are weird about it. They, their headlines in major respected newspapers that say things like flushing grandpa down the drain versus like, <laughs> yeah, versus, right. versus burning them up a chimney. I know exactly. Or it's like, I wait till you, I tell you what happens during a cremation. Wait till mm-hmm. I tell you what happens mm-hmm. during an embalming where by the way, all the blood goes down <laughs> the drain. So we're ending up in the drain. What do yeah. you, what happens with the, like with the aquamation? Um, do you, do, does the family get like water? bottles with the with grandpa no they don't smoothies. although yeah <laughs> a lot of smoothies um yeah the jokes just write themselves <laughs> but they get it's pretty similar to a cremation it's the same yeah. kind of ashes it's oh the, it is it's the oh, inner, it's like inorganic bone fragments that oh, are okay. left over you grind them up which happens at the end of a cremation for those mm-hmm. of you who don't know it's a thing called a cremulator where you put the bones in and they're really brittle at this point sounds like it makes a really good dessert they mm-hmm. were around <laughs> yeah. yeah really strong Cre- food cream, cremation yeah right um, speaking of the froyo joint that we're all going in on together that's not why you're in LA for those yeah. meetings we're in yeah. talks yeah that's right we're starting to chain me and the pod boys why, um, why would someone uh, th- this might sound like a really stupid question but you know we've been talking about embalming throughout here and, and this is the first time I ever wondered like why why would someone want to have their loved one embalmed what a great question what's the purpose Um, there (laughs) well you know originally it was transportation it was the civil war people were dying in the south the families really wanted their bodies back in the north so these new embalmers would go around the battlefield basically carving out their organs stuffing them with sawdust pouring in some chemicals boom you're embalmed quote unquote and it's they got back home and That's they were crazy. still kind of looked like themselves Ooh. and so it was a decent service at the time but for in my opinion it is wildly overused right um it's situations that it's really valuable if you're sending dad to Germany or Mexico and you right. want to have a viewing once he gets there. It's a preservation. It, it coagulates the, the proteins and stops the body from decomposing as quickly. So it's a good service in that, that sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and you, people are... You just run that fluid like through the body, like exactly. through the veins? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's you, you wow. make an incision and the um, blood comes out of the the vein and you pump in the the chemical formaldehyde through the artery. What do you do with the blood when you take it out? Down the drain. Holy shit. So I, so to be fair, I am not an embalmer. So I went to school for embalming. Um, but a big part of my advocacy is we may be (coughs) embalmed too much friends. Mm, So there are new ways. There are quote unquote greener embalmings, which have a less toxic fluid because formaldehyde is really dangerous. It's really dangerous for the embalmers. Embalmers have a much higher rate of blood cancers 
than oh, trippy. normal than the average folk um, because of working around these pretty toxic chemicals. So, and then yeah. you're putting it all and then in you're the ground. It all in the ground, exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't decay. You know, the body doesn't decay very quickly, and the formaldehyde also does not decay very Ooh, quickly. Wow. Although it's better than what they used to use, which was arsenic. Which Whoa, is really? in Civil War cemeteries, there's still like arsenic in the water supply Whoa. from these corpses from whatever 150 years ago. Holy shit! That okay, so so to you know, it's it's basically preserving the bodies so that it, it totally makes sense if you're you know if it's like if it's going long distances and you want to you know exactly. like you said want to send or, a grandpa or to Australia or if or there was some wild traumatic death. So right. someone like a horrible is car yeah, suicide, a horrible car accident. Mm-hmm. Someone's shot in the head, and you need to you need a really stable base to reconstruct their face. That How embalming can be fucking hard. Is that? It's really hard. We actually we just did a. I do a video series as well about my job, and we just went to Phoenix and <clears throat> talked with a reconstructive specialist, which blows my mind because it's it, we're both morticians, but our jobs are so different. My right. job is like look at this beautiful natural dead body. Like, you know, just sit with your sit with your corpse. It's totally natural. Mm-hmm. And then hers is like, my dad was crushed <laughs> in an industrial accident. Like, how do I ever see him again? Um, so it's reconstruction, reconstructing the dead body to, for viewing purposes. For viewing purposes, yeah. exactly. Whoa! So, I just thought that if there was something crazy that happened like that. That it just wasn't an option. Well, I'm sure in a lot of places where that's they don't have a specialist exactly. like this. That's, Depends that's on the much, funeral home. Oh, okay. Yeah. If, uh, this might be a really weird question, um, and I don't know if we can go here or not, but like, what happens if there's like a really like violent death where like somebody gets crushed in like an industrial accident and their body's all like how do how do they collect that body and store it and then like how do you, how does the mortician receive it in a way that they'd be able to work with it? Depends on the body, you know, it's, uh, we've, we've got, it's nice if it's nice, it's, it's helpful if they are in pretty solid pieces, you know, they've been decapitated or they've lost a limb or something that's not that difficult to reattach and you put dad's jacket over it and it's fine. Um, but when a body is really an airplane crash or the body is really torn apart, that's something you need an expert for. I I wouldn't know what to do with. I think that people think that I'm in there every day doing very high level reconstruction. I'm like, guys, mm-hmm. no, that's not. It's not really my level of job. It's not what I do. That takes a real specialist. And if it's not possible at a certain point, you have to have a conversation with the family and say, if you want to see the body, you have to be really aware of mm-hmm. what we're looking at. Here. Do they ever like what if it's like a shark attack and they bit off both their you know they lost both their legs and the legs are gone and the legs are, are have been you know they're digested down to mm-hmm. the ocean do is are, do they ever like replace legs with with sort of like process like is it is there like a problem? yes yeah they they definitely do there's um a lot of that to me uh, with this sort of ethos of our funeral home we probably wouldn't do that because we're not mm. trying to make a lot of the funeral industry is really interested in giving you back a dead body that is an improved version of the person who yeah, has died. So yeah, the, the yeah. idea is mom had cancer for a couple of years. She is bald now. She is very sunken in. Um, you know, she's something is she's missing a foot, you Ooh. know, because it had to be amputated or, or whatever happened to her that was really difficult. They want to give her back to you. 
Where it's like with now bo- look like at with mom. Botox fillers <clears throat> in her face. Yeah, she um, looks so much. <clears throat> she looks so much better. She looks so much better. She has yeah. makeup on. She has a full head of curly hair. She has you which know, any think- limbs back, which is not really what we do because we are interested in the revolutionary idea of a dead person looking dead. Yeah, and I, right. I think it just adds yeah. to the phobia of death that we that we are, you know, that a lot of us uh, in the Western world have really succumbed to. I just, you know, I just, trying to, like they should trying just to avoid be it. alive. They should look I, I, as, it's like, like it's alive. the same thing of people avoiding the word dead. You know, yeah. it's like no, 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 no. Grandma's in a better place. Like we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to just just face the reality that it's. it's dead, I, men- dead. I mentioned that the other day when we were when we were. Um, when we were filming that I was at my house and it was my, my, my partner's birthday and my, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law were there. My sister-in-law said, or my mother-in-law said, Oh, so-and-so, so-and-so died or is dying or is dead. And my sister-in-law goes with her two young kids said, Shh, don't, and she she like she tur- and she turned her head so that her kids couldn't see and she she mouthed dying like that and it's like no I don't want to traumatize them and I was like I didn't say anything because it's not really my place but I was like whoa I don't like that's not I don't think that's the way we should be thinking about death and teaching our kids to grow up thinking about death just like completely avoiding it as if it is. Ooh. As if it's the plague, which it kind of is because it's call coming for us. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what I would do in that situation. I think I would immediately be, be like, let's talk this out. I know. Yeah. I was like, so tempted. coming from yeah. here? Yeah. Like, you know, wow, this is, I see you really have some fear. Where did that come from? Let's explore it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was so tempted to be like, let's crack this can of worms open right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As if you were like talking about like dramatic, like tantric sex positions. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. 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 Like, Maybe you could get away with that but yeah. come on yeah I, I just don't get like i don't get why so if somebody dies they're they they're gone you know like why why does dressing them up and trying to hold on to like one more minute or one more moment like what i don't quite get the concept of doing that and investing money and trying to make them look better it just seems irrational and kind of crazy to me yeah, but, yeah, but also you know, more grief. Is, oftentimes, it can be very irrational. It, it makes sense to me, but also, it, it totally makes sense to me. But I also think that there's that it, it it just takes a little bit of a shift in the way that we we think about death in in general mm. for that for that for us to be a little more. You well, know, I guess I guess Brian's thinking is sort of at, at the. Would you say that that sort of thought is at the root of? Kind of this revolution of, of yes. doing it, doing things differently? Yes. Well, I would say that I am very invested in people being with the dead body. Mm-hmm. And just because I think that when you hang out with the dead body for a little while, it really has a profound impact on you. And the fact that they're gone and they're not there is kind of the important point of that. The mm-hmm. fact that you're looking at a dead body and going, <laughs> oh, wait, this person is not you know, going to come through the door in two weeks. They are very dead. They are mm-hmm. not breathing. I have not seen a move for three hours. Mm-hmm. They are profoundly have left this building mm-hmm. and have left this shell behind. Also, this is going to be me. I'm going to be dead. What does that mean? You know, just the amount of thoughts mm-hmm. and journeys you can go on from being with a dead body is really important. But the question is, what? why are we dressing them up? Why are we making them up? Why are we turning it into 
a different kind of corpse than it would normally be. And I think part of that comes from the idea that a sort of good-hearted idea that we want people to be with the dead body, but they won't be able to handle it Mm, unless we put... But a lot of feedback, the majority of feedback I get from millennials, from Gen Xers, from anyone under 50 is it creeps me out. Yeah, because it it doesn't look real. It doesn't. There's there's like a there is a yeah. there's a. I, I mean, I've seen I've, I've saw like a wax uh, Bridie's grandfather. Wax he had, he had a, they, they had a viewing for Bridie's grandfather, and I've I've known this is my wife. <clears throat> I've known this old man for you know almost ten years, and there's some there was something about Brent that you know in his old age and watching him get older and older, you see these 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 you know, these wrinkles in his face and the way he carries himself and, and the way he breathes, it, like it, it was, it, it, it was a part of him. Mm-hmm. And then when you see him laying in the, in the casket, but like his face is just a little more taut and he's, he looks he's a wearing little, a pink he, lipstick. Yeah. 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 He's a little, he's a little, oh. yeah, he's a little more rosy in the cheeks and it was like, Oh, oh God, Brent. Like, but is it almost you? like, and I've seen a, a, a dead body a couple of times, my grandfather as well. And, and, um, is it, I guess, Caitlin, like it, by dressing them up, does that kind of um, invoke this idea in a person that maybe they shouldn't be dead? Like th- maybe they look better and like it's harder to, to grasp the idea that they are actually gone? I think so. It is also cultural. So, for example, mm-hmm. and, and I want to encourage people to, to think about what they value in a corpse, which is a hard question it's because, like, weird thing to no, say. you know, yeah. someone's like, I don't have an answer for that right now. I'll get back. I'll tweet you later when I think about it. But for example, African American families, some of them absolutely love like the laid out corpse. They want hats. They want uh, Aretha Franklin had her legs crossed with her little, you know, right. pumps on. Um, they love the idea of a laid out, made out corpse in some communities. And in some communities, it means absolutely nothing, and it's sort of creepy. So you have to start where you are mm-hmm. and what's meaningful. And the place that we're at right now, which is why it's uncomfortable, is that the people who are actually dying, people in their 80s and 90s, I believe are the last generation that really value this kind of wake Mm -hmm. that value their whole community coming in and seeing them with their perfect wig and their perfect makeup and the big potluck with all the different casseroles and egg salad sandwiches sandwiches. that whole (laughs) vibe of a funeral it's so familiar (laughs) is is dying out no pun intended (laughs) and it's being slowly replaced (laughs) by cremations by these natural burials by Mm. these new by, by the boomer hippies and especially anybody younger who is coming up, they just don't have that same kind of value. And the problem with the North American funeral system is everyone is saying, we're valuing different things now. And funeral homes are going, no, you don't. Yeah. No, you value what we're selling you. Yeah. Trust us. We know. Trust us. We know we're the Mm -hmm. professionals and this is what you value. And what is it going to take for them to listen and to make these yeah. changes or even not not even overthrow everything they do but just allow other options to thrive within mm. their business mm-hmm. and I, I think that just even just hearing what the like just knowing that there are other options yeah. and, and hearing it like it, it makes such a huge difference cuz until like i said from the very beginning until we started this podcast no clue. I was that person that was like, no oh, yeah, you, you get the box and you put them in the box and then you put the box in a box and you put all that under the ground and then you put a little 
little stone and somebody would sell me the whole it. meal deal yeah. like like that i'd be yeah. i'd, I'd be, be i'd be, be at the yeah. Plus, like, i'd be going i don't i don't know i guess that is what you get when you die i haven't died i haven't been able to go through like the first time i heard you go through it when you die the first time that i heard you can take the body home i went what fuck off no you can't that's so illegal and they're like no you you literally can can have the body like hanging out with you at home just you got to keep it on ice and you can't do anything weird with it but isn't is do you think that like the fact that like there's you know, sometimes when people pass, like there's some insurance money or some type of money that's available to that the person who's paying for the funeral isn't actually paying out of their own pocket. They're kind of paying out of a portion of <coughs> money that's been like allocated for this type of thing that they're just like, yeah, fuck it, I guess. Like if if that's, you know, if this is going to cost $10,000 and that's just $10,000 like, out of the fund that's been set aside for this, yeah. like whatever i'll do the full package like well that's the that's the thing about pre, so when people talk about like oh i want to get this taken care of now i say put it in a, a savings account or like Ooh. a high yield savings account of some kind. Don't put it in a pre need because when you buy a pre need, that's exactly what happens. You're locking yourself into this is the ten thousand dollar funeral that mom paid for. Mm-hmm. And you know if mom really wants that and mm-hmm. she's like, this is what you will do for me no matter what. This is how you respect me. Okay, great. I'm glad she's thought about it that deeply that she has that kind of opinion. Right. Most people don't really. Most people are just doing it because they believe mm-hmm. it's necessary and they don't want to burden their kids. Yeah. When is re- when in reality a kid normally wants to do something for their parents. They want to do something that honors their parents in a unique and specific way, and they want to feel in control of what they're paying for, mm-hmm. especially a younger person. They, you know, We can look up the internet. We can find every detail about a car we're buying, every detail about a phone mm-hmm. we're buying. We can compare and contrast for months before we purchase something, mm-hmm. but we can't do that with a funeral home. We wander in, and whatever they tell us is what you do is what you buy. So if you have a savings fund instead, you can make more clear-headed decisions. When the time comes, you can call around. You can say, oh, this cremation was only $800, and across town it's Mm $3,500? Yeah. Maybe I want the $800 one. Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this word from our sponsors. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm really interested in in hearing about the uh, the cultural differences in what we do with uh, with our dead. Um, I I remember I believe it was at uh, the the death symposium in Toronto. You had you had talked about something that f- totally blew my mind, which was Mongolian sky burials. Was is that Tibetan sky burial? Tibetan sky burial. <clears throat> Can you just run us through what that is? And maybe maybe from there, like let's get into what what other cultures do and, and how they approach uh, the dead in their you know in their community. Sure. Um Tibetan sky burial is one of my original favorites. 
Death it's rituals. so badass. It's amazing. What it is? Do you do either of you know what it is? No, but I'm super excited. Well, you know, uh, Jar and I were sitting um, and eating the other day, I, I believe. Uh, we'll, I think uh, we were on the plane. Yeah, that's right. We were on the plane, and Jar goes, Jar said, "Do you know what a, a, a Tibetan sky burial is?" And I was like, "No, I, I, I don't. I think I think I heard you mention it to me once, but I don't know what it is." And then I said something. I was like, oh, man, wouldn't it be crazy if this happened? And Jer goes, well, you, you, you basically just guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, okay, so Tibetan sky burial um, comes from the Buddhist idea. Well, it's, it's both practical and spiritual. So the practicality of it is that in the high mountains of Tibet, trees don't grow at that high an altitude so you can't make big cremation pyres. Mm -hmm. And also the ground is frozen a lot of the year, so you can't dig into the ground for burial. So you have to come up with some other way to dispose of your dead. What do you have up there? Why? You have a lot of vultures. And guess who likes human flesh? Our friends, the vultures. Who likes dead flesh? Vultures. So what they decided to do is create this type of burial where your body will be collected a a certain type of worker um, called a body breaker will come out. And Yo, they will, that is the craziest name yeah. t- title for a job. The body breaker. Yeah. WrestleMania. Which, yeah, exactly. Hero. I was gonna. I That's was like, I'm not a mortician anymore. I identify as a body body breaker. And they crack open the skull. They strip the flesh. They lay it all out, and that kind of breaks it into bite-sized pieces, <laughs> and they release the vulture, and the vultures are, are already on the hill, but they're much bigger than you think they are. They have 11-foot wingspans. They're these huge, beautiful creatures, and they swoop in 40 of them at a time and surround the body, and very quickly the body disappears, and the idea of a sky burial is that you are taken up to the sky in you know, in the stomachs of oh, these whoa. vultures. That's, that is so that's wild. Gnarly. That's how I want to go. <laughs> that's pretty fucking I'm crazy. pretty sure we can find some vultures up in Nova Scotia. There's like, you know. I, I have no I, idea. I think the zoo has a couple. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll track yeah, some down. We can, yeah, we can, we can rent them <laughs> so yeah. that we can feed them yeah. a dead body. Hey, man, we're in L.A. I'm sure there's like, <laughs> I'm sure they got like performing vultures or something here that you can get. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but once they get a taste for human flesh, you know, there's no going back. No going back. No. But, it, but it's also, uh, in a sense, spiritual because it's not so much that you're going up to heaven or you're going to the sky. It's more that you think the belief is that you don't need your body anymore. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you give it back? To, and, and that's what's really appealing to me about it. The same reason that natural burial, just my shrouded body in a hole is really appealing to me because mm-hmm. I want my atoms to grow a bush yeah. or grow a tree or go. But when you're embalming a body and you're putting it in the heavy metal casket and you're putting it in a concrete vault, you're not anywhere near the dirt. You're not anywhere near to giving back. It's this kind of mm-hmm. North American hubris yeah. of my body is special mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, I, I defy nature. Yeah. And anybody, know. anybody who is an organ donor <coughs> kind of already has that, that idea. I think like they know that they're useful when they're not alive anymore. So like really mm. like being shrouded and allowing yourself to just be, you know, kind of consumed by the ecosystem Ooh. and, and, and go back into the earth there in some way and give back. It's just like one step further than giving your organs away mm-hmm. when you die. I think that's, that's like really the way that I want to, um, I want, that's what I want to happen to my body when I'm done, like a natural burial, burial like that. The only thing that I'm concerned about is that I have this like, vision for what happens when you die. I imagine that you die 
and you come back um, like 15,000 years in the future because we are going to conquer other um, planets and um, the human race is looking to recruit more conquer people. Conquer so colonize? Col- both, probably. <laughs> it depends who's the leader, I guess, then. But it, if it's a Donald Trump type character, then <laughs> we might it be. could be conquer. Um, Please don't come to my country and speak <laughs> of our beloved, our beloved president. So, um, but I think that uh, they're they're going to be trying to find humans to go and colonize. So they're going to go to burial sites and use the DNA to bring people back from the dead. So <clears throat> I want to be brought back from the dead and wake up on a spaceship uh, fifteen thousand so years from now. You just need like a vial of something that's preserved. Right, yeah, so that's a good idea. Then I can do a natural burial and still keep a vial somewhere. Yeah. Well, this You're is... You're a real problem solver. Yeah, yeah. this is... Uh, it's not quite that, but it's... It, I think it's, like, it's kind of similar in terms of, like, the bringing Brian back thing. Um, but in the Philippines, uh, they... It, there's a tradition of, of, like, every... Is it the anniversary of the death every year of taking, like, taking grandma out... And everyone kind of oh. surrounds grandma and they, yeah. they let her know like, oh, yeah, like, you know, S- Sophie was born and, and, you know, what's happening in the town, like what, what she's missed over the last year or she whatever. She gets the skinny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is Indonesia. So Indonesia, this is a, sorry. Yeah, I'm butchering of, all of the like. No, that's okay. Yeah, you're getting pretty <laughs> geographically <laughs> gross. Yeah, you're landing on your, like Carmen Sandiego. Like you're landing, you're like, it's not yeah, quite yeah. where I'm supposed to be. Um, <laughs> Indonesia, um, there's a, and this is not all of Indonesia. So before I travel to Indonesia, I admit I didn't know that it's the fourth largest country in the world because oh. it seems like just a small chain of yeah. islands, but it's it's so many people there. So when I say that this is what they do in Indonesia, it's not the entire country. This is a small area of the country, right. but they have this specific type of ritual where I believe it's every three years they have... They've mummified their dead um, through embalming techniques and through some older techniques, like actually tanning the dead body. And finally it goes into the grave and every couple of years they bring mom out and they have her, they prop up her corpse. They, they clean the body, clean the mummy, they redress her and they talk to her. They have a continuing relationship with her. They say, you know, did you know that this happened? Your daughter's coming in from out of town. You know, these nice people brought you some cigarettes. How are you doing? We're going to sacrifice a pig for you. And there's this ongoing relationship. And what's interesting is that it's actually really similar to, what a you know a potentially religious person or or even a non-religious person in North America would have this ongoing mental relationship with Ooh. someone like, like where you visit hey, the mom. grave yeah where you visit the grave or like just mentally like oh right. hey mom like I really miss you today I want to tell you this is happening or just people you know report being able to sort of see their dad in the corner or feel like they're talking to someone or even praying or however it happens to have that communication. But in Indonesia, it's the actual corpse that you're having that kind of relationship with. You're talking not to someone hypothetically or through prayer. You're talking to the actual mummified dead body. It's It's really fascinating, fascinating. especially in Indonesia because I've spent a lot of time in Bali and and just the how Bali is basically in terms of religion is all is almost exclusively Hindu and then the rest of the country is largely Muslim and how they have those two religions but then there's so many there's so many cultures native to Indonesia that intertwine within those religions that you wouldn't that that you know because those religions are, are are native to other parts of the world but have 
integrated very That's firmly. Precisely there. it. So this is this tribal area is Christian and and Catholic and Protestant and also an animistic <clears throat> native religion mm-hmm. and that have combined um, to to make this ritual that can't be found elsewhere. Ooh, and in Bali too, they have anytime someone of really high stature dies, they put them in this three story tall big bull. And they roll the bull down the street. It's a beautiful decorated bull that the body is inside of. And when it gets to the end of the parade route, they set the whole thing on fire. It's oh, like whoa. it's like a Burning Man, cool. except for a big bull with some <laughs> bodies in it. Crazy! I can't believe I didn't. I can't believe I've. I'm surprised I've never seen. Yeah, Missed that one yeah. when you were there because yeah. I just I was just in Bali for three weeks and I w- and I and I brought my bike and I was like really all, not a single all, person died over that in those three weeks yeah. that you were there. And I, but I was in through all these like really rural well, places. It's usually really important people. Mm. It's yeah. like oh, the, yeah, yeah, you know okay. the high. Because when you go to India, for example, I mean you can go down to the water in Rishikesh and catch a somebody being. Put into the water and floated, mm-hmm. up, float and and, mm. and brought through the through the streets most nights of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's a very common thing to just be hanging around and seeing people, you know, brought to their to their their ritual or their ritual happening. Speaking of India, <clears throat> and now I might have this one. I might have gotten this one. Okay. Uh, there <laughs> Drum was, roll. You also had had mentioned uh, something about this, like it was it was like a bone pit. I remember seeing a photo. It looked like a almost like a coliseum. Yes, this and, is in India. Yes, fucking got it. Got yeah. it. I was Whoa. listening. <laughs> it sounds like Army of Darkness, though. <clears throat> well, it's 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 actually another vulture centric mm-hmm. wave, but it's it's uh, the Zoroastrians. It's a religion that that moved to India and is now primarily in Mumbai in India. And they have these things called the Towers of Silence, which does not help that. the your opinion that it's, <laughs> that it's like that. But um, <laughs> basically it's concentric circles in this big tower and they put the bodies in the rings and the vultures come and eat them. Whoa. And this is, in, this is in the middle, like skyscrapers overlook this. So unlike wow. Tibet, which is the reason they do it is because it's deep up in the mountains, this is in the urban center. And this is there, but the problem that they're having is, which is such a such a 21st century problem, is that the vultures are dying off because the veterinary um, industry is giving cows this certain kind of cow aspirin that for some reason when the cows die and vultures eat them, it kills the vultures. Oh, whoa. Because the vultures can eat any sort of decaying mm. meat. That's like their special talent, right? Mm-hmm. But because of this one deadly aspirin, all the vultures are dying off. So the bodies are just lying there in this Ooh. tower of silence and the vultures are no longer coming. I thought oh, you were going to say that. I, I thought you were going to say that the problem was that they were like, the vulture would go to eat the body, like latch onto like an arm or something, go to take off and like accidentally drop the arm like onto the street, and there would just I be like. I think that has oh, happened. I'm yeah, sure that it has. Also, you know, uh, that one, for sure would happen. One of the craziest yeah. things I've ever seen was uh, uh, an eagle um, flew down to the water, grabbed a fish in its talons, took back off up into the sky. The fish was squirming around. It dropped the fish in midair. And it went into a dive in the air and caught it again in the air. Dude, that's just called America. <laughs> that's just straight up like that is America embodied. Um, Impressive, uh, right? <laughs> uh, I, one thing I wanted to ask, Caitlin, is like, do you what was what's your memory of like the first dead body you've ever seen? 
Ah, uh, this is sort of a grim story, but I my first real encounter with death was when I was about eight years old. I was at my local mall, one of those big open air malls with the two big stories atrium, and a small child fell off the balcony. Oh, while my I was God. standing there and just smacked into the ground, thudded into the ground. How old were you? I was eight. Holy and shit. it messed me up very bad. Um, it really, because that's of eight is about the age that you're really starting to understand that death is final anyway, right. really starting to have an adult's understanding of, of what death is <coughs> and to have that happen at just that time yeah. made me very obsessed with you know, my parents dying, my grandparents dying, my dog dying, me dying, my friends dying. It was it was a constant thought. Did you and have to go through therapy? Or, or? I didn't. That wasn't really an option. I don't think like that. Sure. I, I don't think I think I hit it really <laughs> well. I have great parents, but I don't think they knew the extent that I was right. was suffering. Um, yeah. Um, and I especially since you think, can't really articulate. Yeah, well. I didn't have the vocabulary of like, mom, I feel like I have, I'm developing OCD tendencies <laughs> based on my obsession with death. You know, they wouldn't, <laughs> yeah, it's sure. not a thing I was capable of saying, articulate as I was as an <laughs> eight-year-old child. But I I do think, I did eventually come out of these fears, but I would absolutely not be surprised if most of the work I do now is connected to yeah. the feeling of wanting to what was Help the people not have that terror how would you compare that moment to the the next time you you encountered a dead body well i i did go to a couple of wakes like we've been talking about with mm-hmm. an older person looking like a vegas show show act <laughs> yeah. with the amount of makeup they had on and the and the wax in face and i saw a couple of those and that didn't endear me to that kind of service very mm-hmm. much um, but then it really, the next time was day one at the crematory right. when I was 22 and all of a sudden I had more dead bodies than I knew what to do with in my orbit. <laughs> right, right. And that was, that was an interesting, um, time in my life because it, you know, brought up a lot of feelings, but I was able to sort of work them out mm. by being able to go to work every day and seeing that they're fine. Dead bodies weren't out to get me. It wasn't threatening. Mm. I was doing this job that was also a service to help people. Mm -hmm. And I think all of these things combined helped me. Interesting. Being so like uh, (coughs) submersed in in this kind of uh, uh, being being so close to death so often, um, how does that make you look at your own mortality? I'm checking in with myself a lot. I'm always (coughs) thinking about what I, what I want with my body. I'm always thinking about, you know, I've had more conversations with my parents than (coughs) they probably would have liked, but like, we're figuring this out. Um, I, I think it definitely, I don't know. It's not a magic pill. It doesn't make, I'm not like 20 times happier and more woke and more Zen than the average person. But I would say that I am pretty self-aware I would say mm-hmm. that it doesn't necessarily stop me from doing self-destructive things or, mm-hmm. or having you're working too much or, or doubling down on my problems. But I do think that knowledge of death and just knowledge of how death affects your life really makes you a more self-aware person. So, mm-hmm. for example, <clears throat> would you be doing this podcast if you were going to live forever? 
would you be on the grind? Would you be coming to mm-hmm. Los Angeles? Would you be doing all of that <clears throat> if it was just like now you have 500 years to live? Mm-hmm. You're going to colonize a space planet. You know, guaranteed <laughs> yeah. this is going to happen to you. That's not guaranteed. None of this is guaranteed. Your lives are not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So working with that self-awareness. And I think that a lot of, we have a pretty big chronic illness community and following in the death positive, death awareness community for that totally. very reason, because you're already in that place yeah. of that kind of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And everybody sort of, everybody, I think, subconsciously at the very least, knows that the the understanding that of our mortality or that, you know, the the finite time that we have informs the way that we live and in some heavily and in some not so much um you know we've spent a ton of time like we always talk we talk about death a lot especially i feel like the last four or five days like it's just been it's been non-stop that's all we've been talking it's been non-stop we've really it's really all we've (laughs) all we've been talking about and i and and it's the the theme is that we get closer, we get better at fully living the more we the more we can understand and know what it means that we're dying. And that we, something you said earlier about being with the body, like staying with the body, understanding that that person's not in there. Like that's not that's that that they're not in the building anymore. That I feel that really resonated with with me in the way that, you know, I've been talking about Brandon and my kind of idea of when Brandon died and how I don't view death anymore as this like lights off, but rather as this like sort of fading away process because like who they are is actually just very much still inside you. Like that that hasn't even changed at all. Um, And coming around to the idea that they, that that life is still present outside of that body. And that was just the shit like, you know, the shell or like Joe Rogan likes to call it the meat, the meat vehicle. <clears throat> um, I, uh, and, and that, that's just been like, I don't know, it's, it, that really resonated with me. Like that staying with the body. Well, Ooh. I think, I think it's a, if you want to extend that metaphor, I think staying with the body is also staying with your own body mm. in a way. Like if you can stand death and you can stand the idea that people die, it makes it easier to stay with the idea that you're going to die that this is going to be your meat vehicle yeah. one day and other people will be looking at you mm. the way that you look now upon yeah. the dead body. Yeah. So it, it changes your relationship with your actual physical body. And that you will still very much be alive within everybody else who's still physically here. Mm-hmm. You know, you will go, you will go on, you know, when you, if we you know, if I outlive you or vice versa, like mm-hmm. we'll still very much be with your each ideas, other. your memories, your, the memory of you, the things that you've shared with other people, like human connection that you've had with them. Like those, those things will be alive beyond yeah, your it physical it body. It doesn't go away. Yeah. It doesn't just, it's not like, it's not like you erase the hard drive, you know, after it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. What, uh, what do you want to do with your body? If you, it, let's say it happened today. Mm-hmm. What's what's going to happen to you? Well, um, I definitely want people to hang out with my body. I want to use my body in any way that would be helpful. You know, if you need to film me for YouTube, if you mm-hmm. want to put me on Twitter, if you want to show people that a dead body is not scary and that here she is and you can see her and and, and my family will come and, and be with my body. Um, and then I want to be naturally buried. Until vultures are available, sure, right, and right, legal right. in yeah. Southern California, I just want—I call it corpse ground hole dump. I just want 
shallow hole, my body to go straight in. And, and the idea of decomposition for me is actually really comforting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like, it's not like I thrill to have to work on a severely decomposed body in my funeral home. Mm-hmm. It smells, it's, it's messy, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. But the idea <coughs> for me of being able to decompose and just not have to fix my hair or hold myself upright because I'm decaying into the earth there's something (laughs) very freeing about that yeah that speaks to me a lot too and 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 since we've started this i've i've been thinking and i know you guys probably have too but like thinking a lot more about what i want to do and yeah i'm definitely leaning leaning towards that what um um, what about we've come up with this or we've come across this idea in the last couple days uh tiller mentioned that we've been talking about death quite a bit and and uh we've been talking a lot about celebrating your life um, with almost like a party before you die. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, with funerals, all of your friends come and see your body when you're no longer there. You don't get to hear and any so of the like, nice shit they have to say about right. you. And, and some or people all the shitty af- shit they have to yeah, say about yeah. you too. Some people aren't afforded the luxury of, of knowing of that they're about to pass away and having a celebration <clears throat> and then going. But, but um, is there... Like, are, is is there anything that people are, have been doing to celebrate their lives that you've seen um, that yeah, really connects it's, with it's you? It's called a living wake, um, and we had one for my uncle actually, who had lung cancer, and he was one of those people that you know the end was clear and nigh, and so yeah, he had a big thing, and they're from Iowa. They had a big thing in like the Elks Club with everybody kind of <laughs> stood up, and he was a real character, so it was almost like a roast in some ways. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Which I think the Living Wake really lends itself to that that type of person, totally, yeah. who can like take a take a roast. Um, and yeah, it was it was lovely, and you and just the just the feeling of getting to go up to someone and just be like, hey man, give him a hug and say what you need to say mm-hmm. is such a luxury and mm-hmm. it's a shame that we're not doing it more. And like, yes, and something that I, I have to talk about all the time is people saying, well, you're advocating for this good death. What happens about bad deaths? It's like, yeah, bad deaths are real. Like mm-hmm. people could get hit by a car. They can be shot by gun violence. Like there's any number of terrible deaths, but that doesn't mean that we just say, well, then there's nothing we can do. We can't improve anything. We can't mm-hmm. improve the system. We can't make it better because most deaths are, are expected deaths. Mm-hmm. Most deaths, we see them coming. Most deaths are incredibly old people or people with certain types of diseases that we know that death is coming. So if you have that knowledge, you have all the power in the world to reach out to people, to create these kind of events, to see you. And if the person's a real introvert, maybe not for them. Mm-hmm. Right. If it just, just work at each, it doesn't have to be the same for each person. Start where you are, start financially where you are, start culturally where you are, start mm. mentally where you are, figure out what you want. And that's going to be the best thing for you. I don't have like a prescription for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Right. I just have, a, I just, I just want to give you the permission to be like, actually, I want this thing. Great. Yeah. Do it. Uh, th- thank you so much for, for taking the time to come in and chat with us. <clears throat> um, I'm sure people listening right now are wondering how they can kind of follow along with what you're up to. Uh, how can they do that? How can people s- hear what you're up to? Or I know you've, you also written a book. Yeah, I have two books. Um, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and From Here to Eternity, anywhere books are sold. Uh, if you're a YouTube person, Ask a Mortician on YouTube and The Good Death on 
everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin. This was uh, this was really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thank Absolutely. you. Enjoy Los Angeles. And yeah. uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back next week, as we always are, with a fantastic conversation. But in the meantime, go to Apple Podcast, uh, rate, review, and hit the subscribe button. It would mean the world to us. And if you want to support us other ways, you can go to patreon.com slash sickboy and contribute to our Patreon page. Um, you know, we're in LA in large part because of all of you who have done that and uh we love you for that so if you want to become uh, a patron uh patreon.com slash sick boy and if you're wondering why it sounds like i'm in a graveyard and it's really spooky um it's not because this was a spooky or or dark conversation it's just because donovan the meerkat morgan is an amazing sound designer and uh he just added in all these special mm. effects to like make this sound really great at the end. And, and Halloween thanks. just kind of lends itself. Yeah, totally. Thanks, wait, wait, thanks I have Donovan. To, wait, I have to say something. I'm sorry. I have a podcast now. I'm so bad at this. Oh, fuck yeah. Why would I not? Yeah, I, that's that. the only thing I have to promote <laughs> on another podcast, and I couldn't do it. It's called Death in the Afternoon. Sweet. Death in the Afternoon. And, and uh, anywhere sorry. podcasts are yeah, anywhere sold. podcasts are potted. Sold. I didn't mean to, yeah. It, I didn't no, mean to, like, jump back in no, on your and, outro. I was just like, what? You had one job. No, <laughs> that's, to it. Is that's to be like, it. I have a podcast. That's perfect, because uh, what you should also do is go and rate and review and subscribe to yeah. Death in the Afternoon. Yeah, do it. Um, you can cut out my other promo and yeah. just leave <laughs> yeah, that one. Perfect. We'll, use, we'll use both. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and thank you to the band formerly known as Take Part, formerly known as Florida Man the Band, and now currently known as I think Jerry's. I think it's Jerry's. 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 Yeah. Uh, for doing the uh, intro and outro music, um, it's just been really phenomenal being able to uh, use that song that our friends made. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. I'm Caitlin. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.